0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Midday Magazine for Tuesday, June sixth. I'm Shelby Herbert, reporting for KFSK. Nearly seventy passengers were evacuated from a small cruise ship in Glacier Bay National Park yesterday morning. An engine room fire disabled the Wilderness Discoverer, a ship from the Juno-based tour company UnCruise Adventures. Petty Officer Ian Gray says the fire was reported to the u s Coast Guard around seven thirty a m
1: By the time we got there, they had put the fire out, and then the passengers were taken off and uh, were were in good health.
0: Crew members on the Wilderness Discoverer radioed for assistance from nearby vessel vessels. The sapphire Princess responded and used one of its lifeboats to bring over the passengers and most of the crew from the damaged boat. The Wilderness discover will be towed to a shipyard in Ketchikan where local and federal authorities will work to determine the cause of the fire. The evacuated passengers were picked up by a different uncrewed ship and returned to the company's headquarters in Juneau yesterday afternoon. Company representatives said all of them will get full refunds. The Petersburg Borough Assembly passed its final budget for the fiscal year 2024 in yesterday's regular meeting. It also passed four other ordinances in their last readings and two more in their firsts. First, here's the story. The fiscal year 2024 budget had full support from the Assembly in its latest and final reading, passing with one final amendment. The Assembly voted to set the property insurance in the budget to the amount of $48,800, a 30% increase over last year. They also voted in a 6% increase on public sewer utility rates, which went into effect immediately after it passed. The Assembly also amended the Municipal Code to limit the residential use of boats in the public harbor. Now, no more than 10% of the moorage spaces in the harbors may be used by liveaboard vessels during the peak season. That's from May through October. The change also means that boaters can no longer use their vessels as a vacation rental or a bed and breakfast. The Assembly also passed an ordinance authorizing the harbor master to enforce local traffic and parking laws at the harbor facilities. Then, the Assembly passed an ordinance adding federally recognized tribes to the list of entities that can buy borough property for less than its assessed value. But that's only if the borough determines that allowing them to do so can benefit the public. Tribal Council President Chris Morrison testified that the tribe is pursuing a housing development project. She said that funding from the project could help PIA and the citizens of Petersburg by generating funds that could be used to build PIA programs that aren't necessarily tied to grant funding. She said the project could also help with the local housing crisis. The project will benefit the
2: citizens of Petersburg
0: by providing some
2: relief with regard to the current housing shortage, which will also positively impact Petersburg's ability to maintain or increase its local labor pool.
0: In its first item of new business, the Assembly voted to bring in a third party to investigate the borough's hiring practices and safety procedures. In April, the Assembly considered an ordinance to hire an independent specialist to review the borough's hiring procedures. The investigation concerns a 2016 car wreck that killed two borough employees and injured two others. The Assembly received proposals from two different contractors, Beacon and Alaska Public Entity Insurance, or APEI, The borough chose APEI's proposal, which includes a review of existing safety and training programs with special attention to job safety analysis for driving positions. The company expects that it will be able to deliver its findings to the borough within 60 days. Finally, the Assembly passed an ordinance to create a new borough position. The position would help Utility Director Carl Hagerman transition out of his current role and into retirement. The position is salaried at about $105,000, and it's intended to help retain institutional knowledge when Hagerman retires. Reporting in Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. The first Copper River River salmon dip net opening has been delayed. The personal-use fishery at Chitna was scheduled to open June 7th, but area management biologist Mark Somerville says that's been pushed back until the week of June 12th, as this year's late spring and cool weather has slowed movement of Chinook and sockeye salmon.
1: Mostly due to cold temperatures in the Copper River, ice out was really delayed.
0: Somerville says the late breakup delayed deployment of some sonar salmon counting equipment on the lower river at Miles Lake, where only about 7,000 fish have been tallied as of May 28th. He says slow commercial harvest on the Copper River Delta also indicates salmon are running late.
1: Fish are scattered about offshore. They're not really orienting into shore and stuff, which indicates that the run is still on its way in.
0: Somerville emphasizes that fishery managers remain optimistic about this year's forecast of 53,000 Chinook and 1.6 million sockeye, both of which are better than last season and based on strong brood years for the returning fish. During most of May, red dresses and other red clothing hung from trees around Ward Lake near Ketchikan. They were symbols of missing and murdered indigenous people from southern Southeast. But as Reagan Miller reports from Ketchikan, almost 50 of them disappeared and some have turned up buried or near pipes around the trail.
3: Dozens of red clothes, some trailing adult-sized gowns, some child-sized frilly frocks swayed from trees all around Ward Lake in May. They're a tangible reminder of real lives lost, each one representing indigenous people who were murdered or are still missing. But then, most of them disappeared before they were due to be taken down.
1: It's, it's just disrespectful.
3: Michael Toole is the Victim Services Program Coordinator for the local tribe, Ketchikan Indian Community.
1: That's a terrible way to, to discount the, the reality of, of the lives of some of these people who are missing relatives who haven't received justice.
3: Toole says he checked on the dresses in mid-May. The tribe held a permit to hang the dresses through the end of the month. That's according to a U.S. Forest Service spokesperson.
1: And uh, there had been some that were, uh, you know, weathered. I mean, the weather was uh, uh, off and on, uh, mixed bag with with rain and wind, and, and some were tattered, but certainly none that I recall being missing.
3: There were 60 garments hung as part of the installation. When staff went back to take them down late last month, most of them were gone. The tribe checked in with Alaska State Troopers and the Forest Service, but they didn't know what had happened to the dresses. There was outcry on social media. The tribe's council issued a statement condemning what they called, quote, a hurtful and disrespectful act that undermines the efforts to bring understanding and raise awareness about the MMIP epidemic. They asked anyone with information to contact local law enforcement, but also to contact the tribe and learn more about the epidemic. Some of the dresses have started to turn up in the past few days. Pictures of wet, crumpled dresses appeared on social media.
1: A number of these dresses have been collected and uh, discarded off the trail and uh, covered up next to uh, a culvert there.
3: Gloria Burns is Ketchikan Indian Communities Vice President and the Chair of the Social Services Committee.
2: They've been found in the lake vicinity just you know, back um, almost like they were stuffed into the, the drain pipe.
3: Burns says the act left her with a deep feeling of sorrow. She says it felt like a, quote, intentional, almost vicious attack. Burns says that the tribe staff hung the dresses with remembrance and intention, trying to make it what she called a safe space.
2: And so when you're going through that process of trying to create a safe space and then it's intentionally made unsafe, it it feels very much like a violation. And I think, you know, the hard part is that um, missing and murdered indigenous people have been happening since colonization. We really don't talk about it. You know, we haven't, uh, we haven't really spoke those, you know, to the outside community.
3: The Tribal Council encourages all Ketchikan residents to reach out to Ketchikan Indian community and learn more about the MMIP crisis. Burns also hopes that whoever removed the clothing talks to someone and tries to understand why they did it. In Ketchikan, I'm Regan Miller.
0: Gathering environmental data is critical for scientists as they work to understand our rapidly changing climate. But to a non-scientist, that data may seem confusing or just plain boring. That's why a team of researchers have introduced a new environmental sensor that translates weather data from across southeast Alaska into music. As Anna Kenny reports from Juneau, it'll be used to help students and community members in Sitka and Huna hear and hopefully better understand their changing environment.
2: This is the sound of a sunny afternoon. The heat of the day crescendos. And as the sun sets, the air becomes damp. This melody was composed using measurements of temperature and humidity. That kind of data is crucial for scientists who are studying our rapidly changing environment. But usually, they don't put it in a song.
1: They show you wiggles on a graph. Um, but they don't usually go too deep into having the person translate that into meaning.
2: What could weather data mean for a non-scientist? That's the question Chet Udell set out to answer.
1: How do you get those people to empathize with environmental data?
2: Udell designs environmental sensors with his lab at the University of Oregon. He's also a composer. The Weather Chimes Sensor is a new instrument that combines those interests. It's an environmental sensor that translates weather data into music. Many people already do that in their backyards. That's where Rudell found his inspiration.
1: The wind chime is a really interesting translation of uh, unseen environmental phenomenon. It's giving me information that you know could be useful um, if I'm curious about how windy it is outside, anyways. And it, it also is aesthetically pleasing.
2: Weather chimes builds on that basic concept device is essentially a small plastic box that houses sensors to gather data on things like light, temperature, humidity, and soil moisture. You stick it outside, and it takes measurements all day. Then it uses Wi-Fi to send that data to a computer program, where a person can assign weather phenomenon to different keys, scales, and instruments, like a marimba.
1: So that's the humidity.
2: By listening to those musical translations, you can start to hear weather patterns. Around sunrise, there's a symphony of the world warming up and drying out. And throughout the day, there are melodies and counter-melodies.
1: There's a, this thing in composition, and Beethoven uses a lot, Bach uses this a lot, called a contrary motion, or like when one voice goes in one direction, another voice goes in a different direction. And there's a lot of environmental things that uh, have contrary relationships
2: temperature here. and humidity for example
1: the, the temperature peaks up after the light kind of comes out and then humidity drops a good bit after the light after the sun comes up
2: so patterns that occur naturally are some of the same patterns that composers like to use when making music
1: by putting certain things together that are related that way you can actually take advantage of traditional mechanisms that people have invented to make music sound good
2: and through making music weather chimes could also help people to think more deeply and personally about the weather when there's a particularly rainy period is that good news or bad news the hope is that students can ponder questions like that through music
1: should i make a happy melody or a sad melody Uh, should i make something that goes fast or slow like what does this mean to me
2: educators at the sitka sound science center and sitka high school We'll use the weather chimes in classrooms and educational workshops over the coming year. And Udell and his lab will work with local partners to install weather chimes for community design projects, including yellow cedar monitoring in Sitka and salmon stream monitoring in Huna. Reporting from Juneau, I'm Anna Canny.
0: Seven stellar sea lions were shot in Cordova last month, and investigators are offering a reward for information that could lead to the shooter. A statement from NOAA Fisheries says the sea lions were discovered in the Copper River Delta near Cordova on May 16th by members of the agency's Protected Resources Division. The Copper River commercial fishery opened just a day earlier. NOAA says the sea lions appear to have been shot with no evidence of an attempt to harvest or salvage them. Stellar sea lions are federally protected under the Endangered Species Act, and killing marine mammals like sea lions is also a violation of the Marine Mammal Protection Act. NOAA is offering a $5,000 reward for any information leading to a, quote, civil penalty or criminal conviction in the shootings, You can call the investigating agent at 907-250-5188 or NOAA's enforcement hotline at 800-853-1964. A NOAA law enforcement spokesperson declined to comment further on the ongoing investigation.